try that again. Good morning, everybody. <laughs> this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So God says his responsibility is to make the day, and then we are to what? And be glad. Rejoice and be glad in it. Not for it, not for what's going to come, but just in it, right now, right here. And expect good things. Why? Because God's a good God. And he saw fit to give us this day. And whatever he wants to do in this day, in this moment, are you ready to listen to him? Are you ready to hear his voice? Are you ready to be changed and to be challenged? Are you ready to grow more in your relationship with him? Are you ready to hear what it is he wants to teach us through these parables that he taught his disciples? That's us. Not just the 12 guys who followed him around. That's anybody who's in a relationship with God through Jesus. He has things to teach us, and we're here to learn today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you did give us this day. Father, I pray that every one of us who have quoted your word this morning would rejoice and be glad in our moment, in this day. You're an eternal God. You don't deal in time, but you ordered time because you know that we need structure. We need to be organized. We can't deal with eternity because we're not God and we're not you. And so I pray that even in our own lives, we would not order you around, but we would listen to the order that you've placed in your word for us and that you land in our hearts and in our minds so that we can become more like you. God, I thank you that we here at Bayshore can't believe in your word and we believe that it is important enough that we offer throughout all of family camp many opportunities to listen to your word. We heard children last night uh, speaking your word, quoting your word with such enthusiasm. And as adults, we are so excited to watch the children utter your word with such excitement. God, would we live it out like that as well? Would, would you help us to do that? No, no, Lord, you already do help us. Thank you that you put inside of us a desire to live out your word with such passion and energy and vigor and excitement. God, would we be people who let the broken world around us and the broken people that, that we come in contact with every day, would they be able to see that we're excited, that we're rejoicing and being glad in this day that you have given to us? And so now we're going to feast on your word some more because when your words come, we eat them and they become our joy and our heart's delight when we feast on them. They already are a joy and they already are a heart's delight, but we have to receive them and take them in and chew them up and digest them and then we need to almost regurgitate them out into those around us. So thank you that you taught through parables. May we be good disciples, good learners, good listeners and wi willing to uh, live it out when we leave this place. Thank you for Joel. Thank you for the time that he has given you through the preparation of this study and for the time that he has offered back to you for being here to teach 
the people at Bayshore Camp. We're grateful for him and for the work that you're doing in his life, and we trust that you will continue to do your good work in him, but, Lord, that he also would stay on your straight path and lean into you and tuck in tight to you so he can continue to do what you've called him to do. So, Lord, I ask that the words of all of our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing unto you. You are our Lord, you are our rock, and you are our redeemer. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Amen. Dearly beloved, good morning. Uh, if you're interested, uh, Austin, am I on? Okay, so you can, you can hear through the speakers. There we are. Uh, if you're interested uh, in asking me further questions, follow up. Yeah, Miss, Miss, you know, you're good. Miss Ellen's got note outlines. Uh, sh she will pass out. Well, she's not going to pass out, but she will dis distribute note outlines. Uh, if you're interested in asking further questions or that kind of thing, or just interacting, let me give you my email address. Uh, it's pretty simple. You can jot this down. I'd be delighted to uh, engage back and forth with you. It's my first name, Joel, number four, Joel4IU. Imagine that, uh, Indiana University, Joel4IU at AOL.com. Joel4IU at AOL.com. I'm teaching pastor at Beulah Missionary Church. Messages are online there. Uh, that website is Beulah, just like it would sound, BeulahChurch.org, BeulahChurch.org. Currently, uh, as in day after tomorrow, I'm continuing a sermon series I've entitled Altars, different places in the Old Testament where people built altars. Last Sunday, uh, we talked about the, the altars that Abraham built. And this, fact, matter of fact, this is going to be the altar of sacrificing Isaac this Sunday. But one of the intriguing things that came out of that, the study from last Sunday was this. Uh, Abraham built that we know of in Scripture at least four to five different altars. Or four or five altars, not different ones. One of those, God spoke to him, he built an altar at Bethel. And then he went around and sojourned and dinked around and got kicked out of Egypt and, you know, and, and then, he, then he, what he did, he came back to that same altar at Bethel. He revisited it. And I think, for me, Bayshore Camp is an altar. It, it's a place of significance where I meet and engage with God, and then I'll go and sojourn around, and from time to time, I return and revisit this altar. And you've been kind and gracious enough to invite me to do that four or five times through, through the last 50 years. And so uh, it's, been a, it's just been a wonderful study. And, um, and those messages are online. If you're a pastor looking for uh, a jump start in an interesting sermon series, I'm happy to send you the artwork for free as well. Okay. Uh, how'd you do on these? Are you feeling confident about this puzzle? Oh, how many people think you got them all right? Do you have any? Oh, man, i tell you what. Yeah, okay, here we go. Number one. Okay, get your act together. Good. Dale, are you one for one, buddy? One for one. I hear you, pal. Number two. Hit the sack. I got to hit the sack. I should have hit the sack a lot earlier last night. 
But I, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, hit the sack. Uh, number three, you are out of your mind. Get it? The letters U and R are out of your mind. Okay. Number four, there's going to be a variety of uh, options. What's your guess? <laughs> Making a long story short is classic. Anybody else have a good one? Short story. End of the, a bridge story. Yeah, good. Yeah. Uh, making a long story short is good because it's in the process of, you can tell it's long and it's making it shorter. All right, B is an easy one. Raining cats and dogs, good. So is B2. Pulling your leg, good. Uh, B3. Yeah, letting him off the hook. See it? Okay, B4. Butterflies in your stomach. Do you ever have those? C1, put your foot in your mouth, good. C2, yeah, kick the bucket, that's wonderful. That's not wonderful. C3, drive me up the wall, driven up the wall. Does that make sense? Okay, C4, bite your head off. All right, D1, balancing the books is correct. Yeah, D2 is a feather in your cap. Can you see that? Uh, D3, don't you wish you could draw like that? Isn't that a clever drawing? I didn't draw that. That's somebody else drew that. Uh, D4, yeah, there's your head in the clouds we talked about yesterday. E1, Piece of cake. Uh, good. E2. The ball is in your court. E3. Beat around the bush. Is that awful? <laughs> it's George W. Bush. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I need to apologize. That's a, wow. And the last one. Cutting corners. Dale, how'd you do? Oh, what'd you put for that one? What'd you put for that one, Dale? Cut up. You know what? But I'm going to give it to you. You know, we've been friends for almost 50 years. and All right. I had mentioned uh, yesterday that I kind of made this pact with the Lord that I would be t I teach on prodigals in a, nearly every venue where I, that I visit. <laughs> the the other thing I've talked about with the Lord through the years, uh, and what I've discovered is this morning's message. Um, we're going to be talking about forgiveness. I am convinced this is the issue. This is the issue that more believers struggle with than almost any other issue. If, if, you, if you cannot get your arms around this one, and by the way, it was spoken to the disciples. This thing is rampant. You know, you don't drink, smoke, or chew, or, you know, I mean, 
There's things that you will avoid, but I tell you what, one of the acceptable sins in the evangelical church, there, there is a, a boatload of bitter, resentful people in our churches. And interestingly enough, it's not that you're ticked off at the guy who runs the gas station at the 7-Eleven. It's people in your church, see. It's people whom you have loved in your family. Uh, some people in this room. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'm dealing with, and I think, oh man, I gotta do this message now. Because the, one of the pastors I work with drives me nuts, drives me nuts. Is it okay for me to tell you that? Oh, man, this is being recorded. <laughs> but I love him, and he's wonderful. <laughs> he is. Um, but I tell you what, you know what? We go hard. We went hard last week at lunch. Deeply hurt my feelings. And uh, came back, and you know, I had to kind of work this stuff out. But there's residual stuff that's left over. And, and the church does not do this well. As Christians, we don't do this well. And you're going to discover as we begin drilling down on, on, on this parable, actually it's twin parables, you're going to discover that um, this has got implications far beyond what you're imagining. Okay? So, follow along. This is, um, uh, th that's not correct. The, see the scripture reference? It says Matthew 13. Uh, 44 through 45. I don't think that's right. It's Matthew. I think it's Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Change that. Matthew 18, 21 through 35. <clears throat> then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my interesting, not the Romans, it's his brother. Immediately the context is seen in, the te in, in terms of a family or another Jew. And so these are people that just, we struggle getting along with each other. When he sins against me up to seven times, the, it's, uh, the reason he would pick that number is that the number of perfection, to a Jew, the number seven is like the ultimate. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77, or seven times seven. It's a Hebrew idiom. Like we've been doing idioms with these puzzles, kick the bucket. That's a Hebrew idiom. Seven times seven, or 77. It doesn't translate well into English. That's why it's translated a different way. Jesus answered, I... Uh, therefore, which means I'm now going to teach concerning this issue of forgiveness. The kingdom of heaven, in other words, having a relationship with Jesus, being a believer, is like, there's the simile, a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master, the king, ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. 
The servant's master took pity on him. Watch this. Two separate actions. Canceled the debt and what? Those are two separate issues. Canceled the debt and let him go. Watch the text carefully. But Jesus uses this conjunction to say, now there's going to be a shift here. When that servant went out, he found one of his underservants or fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, plural of denarius. He grabbed him and began to choke him, totally legal under rabbinic law. If somebody owes you money, legally you could choke them. They, we don't have that law today. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Look at verse 29 and compare it to verse 26. Identical phraseology, purposely. Verse 30, notice the difference. Compare verse 30 to verse 27. But he refused, as opposed to taking pity. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown where? Into the pokey until he could pay the debt. I'm not exactly sure how you pay off the debt when you're in jail. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed. They went and told the king, first guy, their master, everything that had happened. So then the master called this servant in and says, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. And so, uh, I've left out verse 33 here, haven't I? Is it in there? Hold on. Should, this is what it should say, at least on my hand. Now. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? That's verse 33. Verse 34, now back in the handout. In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers from the heart. Now, you've got to understand what's going on here. This is, not a, this is not a parable about salvation. That if you don't forgive, that basically you're going to, you know, you're going to get, God's going to, just nail you. Or that you lose yourself. That's, it is a parable about forgiveness. Actually, what it's dealing with, we've, it, these are two parables. The first parable talks about this, and we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that. Parable number one talks about this guy that owes this enormous debt and is released from it. Then it goes into parable number two, or you got this business of these of the two servants that are kind of locking horns. The first parable deals with watch vertical forgiveness. The second parable deals with horizontal forgiveness between fellow servants. If you don't understand and grasp the implications of vertical forgiveness, you will never be able to walk in the freedom of horizontal forgiveness. So, let me begin unpacking these things, this thing here for you. 
So parable number one, a lesson on vertical forgiveness. This is our, it's, it's, it's a, it is a picture of our relationship with God. Watch what happens. The man owed a debt that had to be paid. In other words, the king couldn't just say, you know what, dude, um, let's just, let's just, don't worry about it. Just, just forget about it. No, 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 no. Uh, incidentally, do you know how much money in U.S. currency this debt would be? Close. $20 million. I mean, he could, it was an enormous debt. It was more than the gross national product of a large province like Galilee. And again, when it says this servant, you're not talking about some guy running around in a, ba in a white bathrobe holding a tray. This guy is probably a governor of a province, a high-ranking official who through mismanagement or embezzlement or whatever, this guy owes a ton of jack, see? But it has to be paid. It's, it's, it, watch. It's not a case of payment or no payment. It has to be paid. Somebody has to pay it. And in this case, who pays it? The king. The king. Had you been there, walk with me down the alleyway, and we're standing outside the palace, and then your friend says to you, hey, have you heard? No, what? See that U-Haul backing up to the palace? Yeah. All of the golden shields in the great hall, they're being liquidated. What? Yeah, all the golden shields in the great hall are being liquidated. Why? Well, the king's got this $20 million debt he's got to pay off. Yeah. The South Portico, where, where all of the diamond-studded swords are hanging on the wall, those are all being liquidated. eBay. Wow. Yeah. $20, 20 million debt. King's got to pay it off. He's got to start liquidating. It's huge. It's a huge price, huge cost. Whoa. So, it had to be paid. Secondly, the man could not pay for the debt himself. How do you pay it off $20 million? See, you can't pay it off. He, he cannot even keep pace with the interest on the debt. I mean, so this is, this is huge. This is sizable and an incredible amount of money, and it's got to be paid. See? And number three, and this is what I alluded to earlier, the master... Watch, loosed him from the punishment and freed him from the debt. Now, he could have chosen to do one of those, but not the other. He could have said, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to beat the stuffings out of you, but you still owe me the money. Or he could have said, I'll tell you what, you don't have to pay back the money. However, Frank over here is going to get a pound of flesh out of you. Frank. See. But what happens in this story is he goes, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. A, you don't have to pay back the money. I will free you from the debt. Not only that, by the way, that's called mercy. I'm going to loose you from the punishment. That's called grace. Now, 
boys and girls, ding, 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 ding. You ought to have you know, this little light bulb going on. Isn't this a picture of the gospel? You and I have this enormous debt called sin that has to be paid. God the Father couldn't just say, oh, man, Adam, doggone it. I tell you what, I'm just going to forget about this mess, what you did in the garden. And we're just going to start over clean. How's that sound? Oh, that's not, it was, it's a legal issue. Satan would not have allowed that. It is a legal issue. Legally, certain things had to happen. Blood had to be shed. There had to be payment. It's not a case of payment or no payment. There had to be payment. Somebody has to pay. By the way, are you, did you know that there's two ways to pay for your sin? Nobody else is going to tell you that. Two ways to pay for your sin. One, Jesus can pay for your sin. Do you know the second way? You pay for it. Problem is, it's going to cost you all eternity in hell. See, that's, that's the, the part that... See, most people I've met, as I've shared the gospel or counseled my office, most people I've met will admit that they are sinners. The problem is they just don't know how bad off they are. I had one lady who said that she wasn't a sinner. I remember talking to her in my office, and I said, now, you understand what sin is? Yeah, I understand what that is. And you understand that everybody has sinned. I haven't. Really? You have never sinned? No. Huh. Well, there's your first. Man, it's kind of like, dude. Most people will grant you the fact, I'm a sinner. And they mo most, even most pagans understand what that word means. The problem is, they don't realize how bad off they are because of that. That's the issue. And so what happens in the gospel, God says, I tell you what, Adam, I tell you what, Bashor, I will pay the debt for your sin. And the problem is, it will cost the life of my perfect son. See, again, we don't understand the seriousness of sin in God's eyes. God could have said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'm just going to kill a couple leopards and cheetahs and we'll call it square. See, you, don't, you and I don't understand how grave an issue sin is. It not only cost him the death of his son, it cost him the death of his perfect son. Jesus never sinned. So Jesus was going to have him because he'd never sinned, right? Well, didn't he have original sin? No. Original sin is passed on through the male. In Adam, we all sinned. And isn't it interesting, now you understand why there had to be a virgin birth. Male sperm was not used. Original sin was not passed on. You shall conceive by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, get your arms around that one for a little bit, huh? Because he was, he could have said, okay, I'm sinless. I'm going to die on the cross. And God could have said, okay, pick who it's going to be because well, I'll do a one for one. But because he was the eternal son of God, it could be one for many. I lay awake thinking about this stuff at night, see? It wasn't just simply a one-for-one one exchange. Okay, I'm going to die on the cross. I guess I'm going to pick Lenny. We'll be the guy that gets to go to heaven. Congratulations, Leonard. You won the lottery. 
because he was the eternal son of God, one death for many. See, that's why he had to be God. Get into, getting into a little bit of theology is far more than what you bargained for. All right, now, the Greek word for loose is the word apoluo. Apoluo, just like it sounds. To loose or release. It is the same word that is used in the gospel when Pilate said to the crowd, who do you want me to release for you? Jesus or Barabbas? Who do you want me to apoluo, to let go, to release? Same words used here. He was released from the debt. And you and I are too, see. I am released from the penalty of sin. I, I am freed from the debt and I'm loose from the punishment too because I get to go to heaven. And isn't that wonderful news? Amen. Yeah, but you already did it because Jesus died for you and you alone, my friend. All right. Those who understand the implications of this first parable will be able to apply the truths of the second. Because what we see in the second parable, watch, is the terrible bondage that occurs when you and I refuse to forgive. We are all dealing with this stuff. I said earlier, you could legally choke a person if they owed you money under rabbinic law. The issue isn't if it was legally acceptable or not. The issue was it appropriate in view of what, in view of the forgiveness and release and apoluo he had been given, what is appropriate? By the way, how much was he being owed? A hundred dinars, you know how much that is? Twenty dollars. Dude, what are you doing? Wait a minute. $20 million I released you from, and you turn around and you start choking this, this guy for 20 bucks? What's the matter with you? In essence, that's, what, well, that's what's going on here in the story. And so, parable number two is this issue that you and I fall into this trap. How in the world can we demand and insist on repayment when we have been forgiven for so much? That's the logic that Jesus is using. Now, you and I get that, but we don't understand the implications. So let me show you the implications. This is parable number two, the lessons on horizontal forgiveness. Watch. Because of the man's unforgiving attitude, he says, for the rest of your days you will be tortured. Better translation would be, for the rest of their days there will be bill collectors at your door until it's all paid off. What I've suggested by this is now, he's saying, because you didn't forgive, there will be periodic installments that you will have to make. Watch how this happens. When you refuse to forgive your ex who divorced you, your husband who is addicted to pornography, your daughter who decides she's a lesbian, your son, who's running around as an alcoholic, when you refuse to forgive, 
there will be periodic installments exacted of you. Emotionally. Emotionally. Bitter, as you've seen these like 12-hour cold capsules. You can take, you know, this cold capsule and it's got this time release, right? Bitterness will do that. You decide that you're going to be bitter. You're sitting here right now, and you are so ticked off at somebody in your church or a neighbor, a, a co-worker, or whatever. They have shown this to be true. Bitterness and resentment will release toxins into your system. Slow release. There will be periodic installments exacted of you. As one person said, when you are bitter, your stomach keeps score. When you are bitter, your stomach keeps score. Meaning, you will be slowly poisoned from within. They have done studies on this stuff. Of uh, The book, None of These Diseases, has indicated that this resentment and bitterness within you can cause all high blood pressure, it can cause cancer. Periodic installments will now be exacted of you. Some of you remember you live up, most of you, I don't, but most of you live in the state of Michigan. There was a guy, how many people, raise your hand if you do, recognize the name Lee Iacocca? Lee Iacocca, for those of you who are car people, was the brainchild behind the Ford Mustang. What year was the first Mustang produced? 64 and a half. 64 and a half. That is exactly right. I remember as a kid seeing the first Ford Mustang thing, and that has got to be about the coolest looking thing I've ever seen. Well, basically, Ford Mustang, and by the way, have you seen the latest ones out? This is a side conversation. <laughs> I mean, you look at those things, I mean, you've you got to keep them in a barn. They, I mean, they just, I mean they, they just, oh my gosh, it looks so stinking cool. Well, what happens, he was working at Ford Motor Company in the design department. This is in the, his autobiography, Iacocca. Good read, by the way. Well, eventually, he and Henry Ford II got sideways. Henry Ford II boots him, and Iacocca goes to Chrysler. Many of you know this. And then he turns Chrysler around, see. Well, in the foreword of his book, Iacocca, this is what he said. Speaking of his children, and I'm quoting from the foreword of the book, Iacocca, autobiography of Lee Iacocca. My children were the innocent victims of the despot whose name was on that building. Henry Ford made my kids suffer, and for that, I will never forgive him. Quote, unquote. Unbelievable. You and I do that kind of stuff, see. You will tend to hold grudges and hold bitterness and... um, The question that people will often ask me, is forgiveness an event or a process? You want to know the answer to that question? Here's the answer. Yes. What I need, and I think what the parable is teaching us is, I, I need to volitionally and by faith Forgive the person. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. I, I, I have, 
it needs to be an event. It's, you need to flip the switch and say, I don't feel like it. But some things you do, not because you feel like it, you do because it's the right thing to do. I choose to forgive. Now, that's the event. It is also a process. This is what I tend to do, and I believe this is the heart of the message of the parable. I'm going to use my cell phone as an example here. Peter says, how many times must I flip the switch? Like seven times? Jesus says 70 times seven. This is what I do. I say, I am going to choose to forgive Larry. Boom. But you know what? Larry makes me so stinking mad because it... I'm going to forgive Larry. Except yesterday when I talked to Larry on the phone, he just did the same thing he always... And I, I keep doing this. Do you? 70 times 7. And I believe that what Jesus is saying is, listen, often it's 70 times 7, the same stinking offense. She hurt me so badly. Good days and bad days. I'm going to choose to forgive her. And the next day I get up and I'm so stinking mad again. See? 70 times 7. The same offense. You might say, well, you know why? That's all. So in other words, if I forgive them, they're, they're off the hook. No. They're off your hook. And as somebody told me once, God's got a bigger hook. They're still on his hook. They're after they answer, they've got to answer for this. See, It's a great verse. Let's see if I can find it real quickly. Uh, it's found in, I think it's 1 Peter. Let me look. First Peter, I'm going to choose to go to my apologies. Somebody is going to need to look this up and help me with that. I can't find it immediately. This is what it says. When reviled, he did not revile in return. Speaking of Jesus. When insulted, he did not hurl insults back. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges rightly. Somebody find the verse. 1 Peter, oh, Peter 2. Yeah, go ahead. Read it out loud for us, Dad, please. Jesus, go ahead. When the world turned its back at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, his ultimate threat to him was darkness itself. Right. In other words, by the way, and Jesus could have done that because he was perfect. But he says, I am not, I am not going to retaliate. I am going to entrust them. They're still on God the Father's hook. See, that's what you've got to do. You are not judge, jury, and executioner. 
So in other words, what that person did was okay. I'm not saying what that person did is okay. What that person did is awful. It's awful. They should not have done it. That is exactly right. But you have got to let this thing, you have got to apalua and release this thing and keep releasing it. And by faith saying, Lord, I'm choosing to forgive them because you're going to deal with them. It's God's, God will deal with them. If they're believers, Hebrews chapter 12, he disciplines those who he loves. God will deal with them. They're not going to get away with it. God is not mocked. So, and, well, yeah, but it's not happening. Well, God's got his own time frame for that to happen. It may not happen immediately, but he will deal with it. And it's not yours to deal with. You've got to let it go. Because if you don't, this is what's going to happen. There will be periodic installments exacted of you. Secondly, because of the man's unforgiving attitude, this is servant number two, he was unable to experience the marvelous release he had been given. In other words, he got thrown into prison. Dude, what are you doing there? You were just forgiven $20 million. What are you doing? What, you know, you, you got, you're in prison, Jack. Rather than being free, he's in bondage. That's what will happen to you. Listen to this. You will be unable to walk in the freedom of forgiveness. I'm not saying you'll lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. Hear me well. But uh, the number of believers, Christian people in churches today who are plagued by guilt and shame from the past, this is often the reason. An inability to forgive. You, what will happen is that the prison will become the prison of yourself, your own prison. You're going to be able to, unable to walk in freedom. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You'll, and what's going to happen? You're going to lay there at night, and you're going to stew, and you're going to toss and turn and get mad. This is what I should have said. You know what? I'm, thinking, I'm going to send them a text message. I'm going to defriend them on Facebook. That's what I'm going to do. You know, if I see them at church, I'm going to walk down the other hallway. It, it will eat you up. See? It's going to eat you up. And finally, this last one for me, it was like biting into a buzzsaw. Because of the man's unforgiving attitude, bondage continued to occur in the other person's life. Now, what do I mean by that? Listen carefully. Servant number one was forgiven, this is servant number one, $20 million. You're let off the hook, Jack. Whoa, that's great. He goes to servant number two. Hey, you owe me $20. Really? Yeah, you owe me $20. Choke, 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 choke. Pay me back. Can't pay you back. Okay, I'm going to put you and your family in prison. Boom, they're in prison. The whistle gets blown on servant number one. He gets dragged before the king. Hey, what are you doing? I just forgave you $20 million. You're going to hold this guy hostage for 20 bucks? Boom, you're in prison. Question, where's servant number two? Still in prison. Well, wait a minute. Why, why is he still in prison? Why didn't the king let this guy out? The king did not have jurisdiction over that relationship. This king did not have jurisdiction over this relationship. This guy, the $20 guy, is still in prison. 
What I mean by that, if you refused to forgive, you will bind this person here in terms of their ability to change or move forward. Give you some examples. <clears throat> My, uh, we used to live near Fort Wayne International Airport, a little town called Austin, Indiana. Moved next to a, a, a gentleman whose name was Ulysses, and uh, and he was just kind of a crotch of the old man, just really mean. And I remember I would go over to thinking, you know, I'm going to go over and spend time with him and get to know him. And, and I went over there, and I, apparently it annoyed him. And finally he goes, get the blank, blank, blank off of my property and never come back. Wow. Kicked me off his property, Jeannie. Which is hard to believe because I'm really a nice guy. <laughs> Through the year, he refused to speak. We would walk by and wave on the way to church. Had little boys wave on the way to church. Nothing. Ignore it. Mean. Went on for years. And I took the attitude, well, those who are in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I realized I was, I was hurt, kind of bitter, resentful. And one day as I was studying some of this stuff, I realized, you know, I'm not sure if I've ever forgiven this guy. I don't think I've ever forgiven this neighbor for what he did. I was out jogging one night, and I thought, you know what, Lord, I'm just going to, I'm just going to forgive Ulysses for the way he's treated me and Judy and the boys, and I, I'm just going to let it go. Within one week, there's a knock at the door. Now, he's a big gardener, and he, hold, he shows up, haven't talked to him for 10 years, shows up with an armful of zucchinis, <laughs> and this is what he says to me. I, I don't know if you guys, if you like zucchini, if you have any, or it, 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 zucchinis. Yeah, well, we, we, like, we love zucchinis, right, Judy? <laughs> he walks away, and I'm thinking, certainly my prayer of forgiveness didn't have anything to do with I remember when our boys were little, um, we were going through this stage of life that some of you are in right now called potty training. <laughs> it's a challenge, especially with three boys. It was a challenge. Our closest friends lived three doors down. They had a girl. Her name was Leah, and Leah came out of the womb potty trained. <laughs> Whereas our son, it was just awful. It was just awful. I mean, he, we tried everything to potty train this guy. I mean, we, we would go days on end without giving him liquids. <laughs> um, I mean, we would put him in, you know, that, that bathtub with, the, you know, that, you know, with scalding water and that, and all this, with, you know, the electric shock trip. No, nothing, nothing worked. He was a midnight sailor from the word go. And I mean, I was just so mad because when this, when, you know, when you're, hey, is Chris potty trained? No. Because Leah, you know, Leah's walking around and you know, wearing big girl panties and I'm thinking, oh, man. 
I mean, it's a bad reflection on you as a dad. You're thinking, dang, gone. It's so frustrating. Well, here I am up jogging again. And the Lord says, you know what? You're holding on to this thing. You, you need to let this thing go. You need to pray a prayer of, of release. All right. Lord, I wonder, oh, man, it sounds awful. I want to forgive my 12-year-old son. I, wanna... <laughs> I, I, I Lord, I, I'm going on record as for, forgiving him. Sounds terrible for not being potty trained. I mean, I just, and so I prayed that. Guess what? Within one month, he's dry. He now teaches sixth grade in Elkhart, Indiana. As far as I know. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself once again, wait a minute, stop the presses here. Certainly my prayer of forgiveness for him had nothing to do with him being able to go dry. Did it? The Bible says that if you bind anything on earth, it will be bound in heaven. And if you loose anything by prayers like on earth, it will be loosed in heaven, giving that person the ability to change. By the way, you know where that verse is found? Buckle your seatbelts right before this parable. Look it up. Look at the end of Matthew, what's the last verse in Matthew 17? I'll tell you what it is. Matthew, we're in Matthew 18, Matthew 17. Chapter 18, verse what? I'm sorry, dear. 18, verse 18. Yeah, same chapter, my mistake. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Same context of this parable. So now I'm thinking, you want to know the reason that maybe your loved one hasn't changed? Could it be that it's my attitude toward him or her, my being mad, angry, unforgiving, has kept them in a prison and given them the inability, oh wait a minute, in America we don't believe that, we believe everybody's responsible for their own decisions. Isn't it interesting? At the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 8, stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 8, it says, and standing by, giving assent to all they were doing was a man named Saul. Do you remember that? And what was the prayer of, of, of uh, Stephen when he took the rocks? Father, forgive them. Watch this. You've never seen this before. 
What's happening is Stephen's being stoned, standing there as Saul of Tarsus, the persecutor of the church, giving assent, the Bible says, Luke writes, to all they're doing. What happens? Stephen prays a prayer of release. That's Acts chapter 8. Do you know what happens in Acts chapter 9? Damascus Road. Now, wait a minute. Pastor Joel, are you saying that the reason that Saul came to Christ in Acts 9 was predicated on the prayer of Stephen's prayer of release in Acts chapter 8? Well, how do you read it? That gives you goosebumps. That has startling implications. That somehow, by my prayer of forgiveness, my refusing to be bitter, my letting my resentments go again and again and again, I allow God the Father to work more completely in this person's life to change. That'll preach. Wow. You're going to need some time to process this. You're going to need some processing time. Because if I don't miss my hunch, you're going to walk out of here going, holy smokes. I wonder if my attitude towards Linda or my attitude towards Fred. I, I don't know. i got to think through this. You see, that's why I'm saying the issues of forgiveness have startling implications beyond what you can imagine. I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me, please. Father, parable number one, I just want to thank you for the glory of salvation. Thank you for paying my price, the $20 million of sin that you willingly went to the cross, took the nails, bled, suffered, and died. Lord, how can I ever say thanks enough? If you never would give me another blessing the rest of my days, it would be just fine. Based upon what you did on Calvary. Well, Lord, beyond that, with parable number two, I don't do this well. Lord, I get filled with resentment and bitterness and frustration and anger, and I tend to hold on to this stuff. I can have a critical spirit. Forgive me and help me to learn to let it go. To trust you to deal with them. Forgive me, Lord, for assuming the role of judge, jury, and executioner. It's not my role to assume. Help me to keep releasing Apoluo again and again and again, 70 times 7. I thank you for these dear people. I thank you for their kindness in allowing me to come and share my heart. And may your blessing rest upon them, their families, their loved ones. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen. So uh, two things. The story that you were just talking about with... Um, my uh, my bedwetting son? No, not that one. Oh. Uh, Stephen. <laughs> oh, Stephen <laughs> and, and yeah, Saul. Yeah, and Saul is, um, when you said that, Stephen was first released from himself. He died free of, unforg of, of unforgiveness. 
And so forgiveness frees us. And then the release came for. So then for me, I backed that up a step and thought, wow, has, is there unforgiveness in me that's holding back somehow God's power in another? Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that we hold that power. Don't take that to that extreme. That's not right. what I'm saying. But, yeah, in there. And then um, I have a question for you because sure. how you started out with just what your, your current reality of where you're at with a colleague. How have you or what's your plan of responding to that? Well, the Bible said, I, I don't have a choice. I have to continue to forgive. See, God has the ability to forgive and forget. I don't have that privilege. It's hard for me to forget, especially when you've been wounded again and again and again by the same person. So, Ellen, I have got to keep doing this. And what really stinks is that I had to preach on this Friday morning. Because it forces me you to have you, to deal with it. You mean it. you had the privilege of? That's the correct word. <laughs> because I have got to deal with this truth in my own life. I can't sidestep it. My tendency is to think, oh, good, well, I'll just remain mad and nurse the grudge and the wound for another week or two. You know how, you work, how this deal works. We, we, I mean, we don't talk about this stuff in church, but... I know, <laughs> and I'm wired similarly, and so I, yeah, I understand that, and yet when we, when our words leave our mouth, we don't have the ability to control them any longer, right? Yeah. And so when we, when we talk about how others, how they've hurt us, and, and what they've done to us, I mean, there's another thing missing, and that's the other side of the story, of course, but right. then there's also just where does that go, and so, um, yeah, we're challenged today on how we're how we handle uh, when we're mistreated and how we handle when we are the ones who are doing the mistreating. Because it's easy to stay on the side of they hurt us, but there's also that other side of how have we done that? How have we hurt others as well? So and to simply say, well, forgiveness is a process. That, by the way, the, the deeper the hurt, the longer the process. However, that doesn't uh, disqualify the idea it's also an event. On the front end, yes. by faith, I have to say, I'm going to choose today to forgive them. I don't feel like it. I'm still ticked off. And I'm going to choose by faith to forgive them. Now, help me to walk through this. Mm -hmm. And then you're giving God the ability to work in your heart. Right. Right. Okay. Because forgiveness is not a suggestion. Yeah. It's a command. That's it's right. a command. And then we all have that ability to walk in that obedience. Any questions or comments? Yes. So... Um, you're not saying you're going to that other person, Ulysses or your son, and asking them to forgive you. You're dealing with it with God. Is that right? That's a great question. Some, here's, I'm, I'm going to, my feet will be firmly planted in midair on this. Sometimes it's appropriate, other times it's not. Sometimes you need to go to the person, but then the Bible also talks about long-suffering. Patience and longs. Sometimes you just let it go. Every time somebody slights me, I don't go to them. Now, in some occasions, and then you got to pray about it, the Lord will say, you need to go and talk with that person. Or, and, and don't get into this trap. Some of us have oversensitive consciences. Somebody walks up to me in church and says, by the way, I just want you to know, I have been so mad and bitter at you for 20 years. You made me so mad 20 years ago. I've held on to this for 20 years, but I forgive you right now, Pastor. And they walk away and you're going, yeah, some things are better left unsaid. You've got to gotta deal with it. Long-suffering. There are other occasions you need to go to the person and make it right. 
Now, we're going to have ongoing conversations, he and I. You get two high-capacity leaders working together, you know, it, it, it happens. It's just not talked about in the church. Number one, pe- number one reason missionaries leave the field, you know what it is? Don't get along with other missionaries. Number one reason. And it's just, well, that doesn't happen in evangelical circles. Yes, it does. <laughs> Go ahead, Ellen. I have a question about a, um, a conclusion you draw that, that I don't see. And in uh, verse 23, okay. it says in the NIV, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king, and that the king then forgave the debt. And then you concluded that the king paid the debt to another entity. And I, I don't see that in here. Could you explain that? Well, the man, the man owed a debt, $20 million. Well, that's not in, it's not in the scripture how it was dealt with. But if, if, the man, if the man was a governor of a province and embezzled $20 million, somehow that's going to have to be accounted for. And, and it says he released the governor, freed him from the debt, and released him from the punishment. However... My conclusion would be, it's still on the books. Somebody has to deal with that. Answer, the king must have. That would be my, my conclusion. Any other comments? Yep. No, go ahead. That's fine. Did you say you have a testimony? I was involved with with a group of people back up here a little bit um, went to a doctor and doctor uh, uh, neurosurgeon he wanted to know what I did and to keep the mind going I said the wife and I play a lot of cards. And then, says, that's the best thing for you. Get that mind working. And then, I said, oh, that's great. Can you write me a prescription on this? And it was a joke, you know. But you need, in all seriousness, you need to keep that mind moving. You need to do cards. Okay, so that's what I'm doing. That's therapy for you. And so I got involved with different groups playing cards and stuff. I very much dislike cheating and I'm very open about it the first first time I walked into the place and I caught these people cheating and I called them on it and 
not directly, but indirectly. And then as time went on, other people are seeing things. And then it started where this one person couldn't, irregardless of what was said, couldn't, wouldn't stop cheating. And then the people, a handful, uh, somebody says, well, we need to write something up or whatever and have this person removed. I'm not going to be the first person to put my name on it. Well, then three, four, five other people put their name on it. And they brought the paper to me. You said you would not be the first. Well, I signed it. And that, that, once that finally sunk in, what I did, this is wrong. So that went on for a week or so. Then the peep, then I wanted my name off of it. And I wasn't able to get hold of the paper. Well, then that one instance, I got hold of the paper and I scribbled my name off. I said, this can't be this way. This is not the way to deal with it. Legally, morally, anyway, it's not the way to deal with it. I went to the man's house. And I stood there at the door. I just said, I need to talk to you. So he invited me into his house. And we went out on the porch. And his, his wife came out. And we talked. And he said, Dennis, what's What's up? I'm asking for forgiveness. For I have done something wrong. Something you're not aware of at this time. And I'm asking. I'm asking that you forgive me for I have wronged you. And they didn't understand. What do you mean? Then I explained it to them. And everybody was that sh in, in shock and everything. Uh, and it just kind of there to ask for forgiveness as the Bible tells you you have to ask for the forgiveness before you can receive forgiveness I've prayed and it it's there It does bring you a lot closer. That's right. And it's, yeah. That's right. Thank you. And things have healed. Mm -hmm. 
we're now good friends. We've always been friends, but yeah. Yeah, Lori brought healing too. Good. Thank you for sharing your heart. Anybody else have a few moments, folks? Yep, got a couple minutes. Comment or question? There's uh, just a couple items I'd like to mention because this has got in interesting implications. There was a guy who was accused of child molest in our church, went to prison, that sort of thing. Uh, was released, came back, came back to the church, um, and we said, you're certainly welcome to the church. You can't serve with kids any longer. Well, you haven't, you haven't forgiven me. No, 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 we have forgiven you. But all actions also have implications. And we and of, of higher value is protecting our children from liability. And so you've got to understand that, uh, that simply because you have forgiven the person doesn't mean you go on vacation with them. So there's people in here who have been raped. Sh do you need to, should you forgive that person? Yes. That does not necessarily mean you, you maintain contact or have a relationship or necessarily go to the person. And so there's, there's other implications of this that you need to be careful on this stuff as well. Miss Ellen? Um, I remember when uh, my husband Kevin was in seminary. Um, we lived in this tiny little townhouse and we had a mini blind broke and the maintenance guy came to the door and knocked on the door and he's holding the mini blind and he was like, oh, I have been looking everywhere for you. And my husband was like, oh, okay. And he walked in and he sat down on our sofa and he said, about three months ago, I was in the library working my library job and you, pointing to Kevin, came into the library and you were just asking about a book and I didn't treat you well. And Kevin didn't even remember this moment. Oh, yeah. And the man said, my prayers have been hitting the ceiling for three months because the Lord kept saying to me, you got to go find that guy wow. that you wronged in the library. Do you see how little, yeah. a little thing, right, right. and it was stopping forward progress on this guy right. who's called into ministry. Imagine mm -hmm. what the consequences, you said implications, the implications and the consequences of just those things the Lord will put on your heart. Yeah. You keep saying, why does that person keep coming to mind? Why does that person keep coming to mind? Maybe it's not that you can't get rid of that person from your mind. Maybe it's that the Lord is bringing to mind something that you need to deal with. And it doesn't have to be a face-to-face. -face. It's just stopping you be from this vertical right, right. relationship that's first. So um, that's good. have you all appreciated Joel's teaching this week? Oh, yeah. yeah, very, very much. Thank you for bringing the word of God to us in a right and a real way. And um, thank you for teaching us and taking the time to uh, share something that he's laid on your heart. Um, we appreciate that.